Hello, and welcome to Christ Tabernacle's teaching ministry. Today we have a life-changing message for you. Before we begin, please note that on April 1st, the Christ Tab Brooklyn podcast will be transitioned to the Christ Tab podcast. To continue receiving great teaching from Christ Tabernacle's teaching ministry, please make sure to subscribe today to Christ Tab on iTunes or SoundCloud. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready for God's Word. Hey, I, I don't know about you, but this Elisha series has been everything. Uh, those of us that have been participating in life groups, uh, this series has been incredible. And we've got two more weeks left. I'll introduce tonight's guest speaker in just a moment. Next week, we have Mama Durso in the building. Uh, put in the nail in the coffin, wrapping up the series next week. So you want to grab your friends, get here Uh, next Sunday night. But tonight, uh, we have the honor and the privilege of hearing from a woman of God, a woman of the word. And uh, her name is Michelle Lamodio. And listen, yeah, those are her life groups. Uh, uh, This is her first time preaching here at Bushwick. And uh, I promised her that we would make her uh, feel really warm and fuzzy and Welcome. So could I invite you to stand to your feet, and would you give, come on, would you give Michelle Amodio a good Bushwick, Brooklyn, we love you, we're glad you're here, welcome. Come on, everybody. Amen, amen. Thank you, thank you so much for the warm welcome. And uh, I love Pastor Ralph and Lisa, I know them for many years, and So proud of them to see what God is doing. Amen? But we have a lot to get through tonight, so I'm going to get right to it. I hope you have your hiking boots. Anybody have hiking boots on? Because we are going to take a hike through the Word of God. I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm not making any apologies for that. Because there are times that we need teaching from God's Word. Amen. I like that. Okay, excellent. So... Let me just pray, Father, we just ask that you right now, right now, God, we're so thankful that the presence of the Lord is in this place, and God, we need your Holy Spirit to come like a mighty rushing wind because you are the real teacher, and so I'm asking that you would open up our ears not only to hear, but to listen and to understand what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to our individual lives and to us as a church, God. And so open up our eyes, open up our hearts, oh God. I pray that you would do something supernatural tonight in Jesus' precious name. Come on, let's give the Lord one more praise offering. Well, I was asked to speak on the title... Our times are in the hands of the Lord. You know, I love what David wrote in Psalm 31, verse 15. He says, my times, but another translation says, the course of my life is in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me or persecute me. The course of my life is in your hands. How many of us know that? Our course could be very different from the person sitting to the left of us and to the right of us. This is a personal walk, and we need the assurance and the confidence to know 
that the course of our life is in the reliable hands of the Lord. Come on, let me get an amen for that. So over the past few weeks, we have looked into the amazing life and ministry of Elijah, the man who asked for more. And that really should be the heart of every single believer, that we should ask for more of the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of God in our lives, the presence of God, the power of God, the provision of God, even the protection of God. But with more of the blessings of God come more battles. And that's where our response to our trials and our temptations play a vital part in the victorious life that God wants us to lead. You know, I say not only trials but temptations. 30 years ago, God rescued me from a life of homosexuality. And I would love to say that I was instantaneously changed and delivered, but that's not the case. You know, back then in 30 years, Pastor Symbol and Pastor Dorsal, they didn't know what to do with me. They couldn't send me to a woman's program, obviously, and they couldn't send me to a men's program. And so God put me in full-time ministry right away. He figured it was for my best interest to be around other believers so that I would have accountability. But so often I would so struggle with a temptation, with desires, with thoughts that would come my way. And I would get upset with God at times. I would say to him, listen, if you don't want me to live like this, then change me. You have the power to change me. But then I realized as time went on how important my response to those trials and temptations were. It's really our response to it. Listen, in James, and that's really what I want us to I want to ask you today, how do you respond to trials? That's the question I want to put out to you. How do you respond to trials? In James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4, this is a very familiar portion of scripture. And so often, just like Danielle said, so often when something's familiar, you could just read it or say it and it loses its impact. But I'm praying that God would take his breath and breathe on the verses that I'm going to share tonight, that they would be living and active to us. So it says here, consider it, that's intentional, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing, lacking nothing. Now, that word, consider it joy, that word joy, that's the same word that you find in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy wasn't being crucified on the cross. The joy was the result of the cross. And so the joy isn't the, when James says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, the trial isn't the joy, it's the result of the trial. It says that it develops perseverance. And that word perseverance, sometimes it can make you feel like, I know for me it made me feel like I had to muscle up, you know, muscle up. And there are times in the spirit, for the spirit man in us, we do have to muscle up. But it's not us taking the weight it's God taking the weight. And so I want to change that word or replace the word perseverance in this uh, verse 
to an ever-increasing and deepening trust in God. So listen, consider pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops an ever-increasing and deepening trust in God. Because it's that trust that we need, that each and every one of us needs. As believers, we all start our faith journey with an initial measure of trust. But we will never, ever survive the onslaught of the enemy and the challenges of life with that initial measure of trust. No, it, our trust in God has to be ever-increasing, ever-deepening, so that we can handle the troubles of life. That's what Jesus said. He promised us one thing. In this life, we will have troubles. And so we need to recognize, and we need to look at our trials differently because we have to look at them as something that's going to develop us to trust God more than ever before. So the purpose of our trials, our spiritual battles, just like I said, is to develop and, challenge, and, and give us that ability to face the challenges of life. Listen, Solomon said this in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 9. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. You see, the problem that with man's relationship with God has always been the same. It's the same today as it always has been, a lack of trust. As Christians, our greatest problem is not sin. Our greatest problem in living a victorious Christian life is not sin, it's trust. Because the sin problem, Jesus settled that sin problem on the cross of Calvary once and for all. Can I get an amen? amen? So, in our faith journey, we will be led to places that will deepen our trust in God. For one purpose, so that we can experience the power of God in our lives. Even Jesus himself the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by the enemy. And he experienced the, the power of his father. And that's the same power that God wants to give you and me. And so tonight, I want to look at three ways that we can, that our initial measure of trust can be developed into an ever-increasing and deepening trust in God. So let's look at our text and see how does the story of Elijah apply to our lives today? So I know that I was given the portion starting in chapter 7, but I want to look ahead because I think for us, we need to see the big picture of what's really happening. So we're going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. And I'm going to read and stop and read and stop. So it says here, sometime later, because Israel had... A season of rest. How many of us know that sometimes there's a season of quiet and rest and the enemy's not really doing anything in our lives? Can I get an amen? amen. But listen, he's always looking for an opportunity. He's always looking for an opportunity. So he says, at some time later, Ben-Hadad of Aram brought all his military units together and marched up to besiege Samaria. So there was a great famine in Samaria, and they continued the siege against it until a donkey's head sold for 80 silver shekels 
and a cup of dove's dung, or some translations say seed pods sold for five silver shekels. Let's stop there for a minute. So we see here that the king of Aram, he mobilized his entire army to come against Samaria. But there's a word that really jumped out at me. You know, when you read your Bibles, especially the Old Testament, you can't take the Old Testament literal. You have to ask God to take his breath to bring understanding to it. And a lot of times, sometimes when we read our Bibles, we read it so fast, we don't really know what we're reading. And so when I was reading that, the word siege came out. If you could put that definition up on the screen. I want us to look at it so that we understand what it means, this, the type of attack that, that Israel was going through, the type of attack that, God, that the enemy does in our life. It says a siege is the act or process of surrounding and attacking a fortified place in such a way as to isolate it from help and supplies for the purpose of lessening the resistance of the defenders and thereby making capture possible. So the enemy, that's what he tries to do to us. He calls all his, he mobilizes his forces to get us to a place of feeling isolated with no help or support coming our way. You know, even though I was on staff and I was around other believers, because of what I went through, the enemy really made me feel isolated. Like nobody really understood what I went through, what I was going through. I never really felt I had the real help or the support that I needed. That's what the enemy wanted me to think because he wanted to lessen my resistance because his aim was to capture me once again and bring me back into his control. And that's what he does to each and every one of us. But we cannot be ignorant of the schemes and the devices of the enemy. That's why we need the word of God. That's why we need a double portion of God's spirit in our lives. He gives us discernment. He gives us the wisdom, the sensitivity to say, no, this is a lie from the pit of hell. And so we recognize that, you know, sometimes when the enemy comes at us, it, it makes us feel like, we don't have any way out, but that's a lie. But let's, let's continue to read and see what happened in Samaria. Verse 26, it says, As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, My lord, the king, help. And he answered, If the lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor or the wine press? And then the king asked her, What's the matter? And she said, the woman, This woman said to me, Give up your son. And we will eat him today. And then we'll eat my son tomorrow. And so we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her the next day, give up your son and we'll eat him. But she had hidden her son. And when the king heard the woman's words, he tore his clothes in despair. And then as he was passing by on the wall, the people saw that, he, that there was sackcloth under his clothes next to his skin. And he announced, may God punish me and do so severely if the head of Elisha, son of Saphat, remains on his shoulders today. And Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But because the messenger, before the messenger got to him, because the Lord had already spoken to Elijah's heart, Elijah said to the elders, do you see how this murderer has sent someone to cut off my head? Look. When the messenger comes, shut the door to keep him out. Isn't the sound of his master's feet behind him? 
And while Elisha was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him. And then he, meaning the king of Israel, said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I trust the Lord any longer? Another translation says, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So we see that the siege of Aram caused a famine that lasted a long time. Sometimes we could be in a battle for a long time. And we see that the people here became so desperate. And how many of us know that desperate people do desperate things? Have you been in a desperate situation and you almost felt forced to do something desperate? That's what, that's what the enemy wants from us. He wants us to take matters into our own hands. And the king, the king of Israel's heart was cold already to the things, uh, things of God. He was an evil king. He didn't have a heart. He wasn't sold out to the Lord. And this pushed him to his limit. So much so that he said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I trust the Lord any longer? And he totally forgot. If you read earlier in chapter 6, the faithfulness of the Lord in the past He didn't reflect back and remember how God miraculously delivered Israel. The pressure and the longevity of the battle caused him to live in the moment and ultimately lose all trust in God. And that's what happens to us so often. The longevity and the pressure of the battle can cause us to live in the moment and we forget what God has done in the past. So the number one thing that helps us to take that initial measure of trust so that it can increase and deepen is to always remember what God has done in the past. And that takes intention. We need to quiet our hearts in the presence of God and and sit down and remember what God has done back then. And what he did back then, he'll do it again. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We might change, but he never changes. And so we have to see the importance of experiencing God in our lives. Every little experience, everything that he's brought you through, it's worth remembering because that's what helps you deepen your trust. When the enemy says, oh, this disaster, this problem is from the Lord. Why should I trust him any longer? You say, no. No, I'm not going to believe that because I know what he did back then, and I know he could do it again. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise offering. So for our, that initial measure of faith to deepen and increase, you have to reflect back on God's faithfulness. But look at Elijah's response to what the king said. If we can t- continue reading in chapter 7, it said, Elijah said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow at the gate of Samaria. Six quarts of fine meal will sell for a shekel, and 12 quarts of barley will sell for a shekel. Then the captain, the king's right-hand man, responded to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this really happen? And Elijah announced, You will, in fact, see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. Let's stop there. Elijah's response to the king was, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. He didn't say to the king, listen, this is what I think about the situation. No, hear 
the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. And it's so important for us to take God at his word. We have to take God at his word when he speaks. The Bible says in, in Numbers, I don't have that verse up there, but Numbers 23, 19, if you're taking notes, God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Listen, God had promised about this time tomorrow, about this time tomorrow. He promised that. He spoke it. And all too often, isn't it true, that our breaking point is right before God is about to intervene on our behalf and show himself strong. Right before we give in. That's why we have to trust God at his word, regardless of how long it takes. Because that's the very thing that's deepening, increasing your measure of trust. That's the thing that's going to get you through every trial, every temptation, every tribulation. And so we need to say, we need to, say to ourselves, you know, if we don't take God at his word, we will say to ourselves, why should I trust in God any longer? And that's the danger. That's the danger of not taking God at his word. Do you know that you can believe in God and not believe God? You can believe in God. You can believe that Jesus is the son of God and not believe him. Not take him at his word. Not trust his word. That's why, you know, we live in a day and age. Unfortunately, I thank God for all the modern technology and all the things that happen. But listen, you cannot get away from reading your word. And the enemy will do anything to try to get you, you know, that, that I want to ease your way. I love worship. I love coming to the altar. I love singing. I love all the emotion of it. But listen, it's the word of God. It's the word of God that will give us the trust that we need, the strength that we need. It's so vitally important. Look at, the, at, look at what the king's right-hand man said. He said, could this really happen? Listen, a lack of trust and not taking God at his word will lead you to unbelief. And unbelief leads to spiritual death. And we're going to see what happens to this man later on in the story. And so you can't allow that to happen. Listen, there's another very familiar passage of scripture that so often when we read it in Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will guide you on the right paths. Sometimes, because we know that verse, we can, it almost can read like a hallmark card, like something that's written in a card. And we forget the power of it, because this verse is life-changing. It can transform the way we see life, the way we deal with life, the way we go through life. If you trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but rely on his word, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will lead you on the right path. And that's why the second way in order for us to allow that initial measure of trust to grow, to increase and deepen is to always take God at his word. 
And so let's continue in the story here. Now we see in chapter 7, verse 3, that the siege is about to be lifted. It says, four men with skin disease was at the entrance to the gate. And they said to each other, why just sit here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, we will die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we'll also die. So now, come on, let's go to the Aramanians' camp. If they let us live, we will live. If they kill us, we'll die. So the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Aramanians' camp. And when they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that there was not a single man there. For the Lord had caused the Aramanian camp to hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a great army. The Arabians had said to each other, the king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they had gotten up and fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, their horses, and their donkeys. And the camp was intact, and they had fled for their lives. And when these men came to the edge of the camp, they went into the camp to eat and drink. And then they picked up the silver, the gold, and clothing and went off and hid them. They came back and entered another tent, picked things up, and hid them. And then they said to each other, we're not doing what's right. Today is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until morning, we'll be punished. But go, tell the king's household. So the diseased men went and called to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went to the Armenian camp, and no one was there. No human sounds. There was not, nothing but tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents were intact. The gatekeepers called out, and the news was reported to the king's household. Ultimately, God chose these four outcast lepers to bring the good news of deliverance to the king of Israel and the city of Samaria. And this is a picture of redemption. You know, how God, right, supernaturally, God supernaturally defeats the enemy of our soul and provides the very spoils of the battle for us. You know, back then, in this story, the spoils were food, were clothing, were silver, were gold. But for us, for us, it's the mercy and grace of God It's the unconditional love of God. It's the provision of his Holy Spirit and his word. And we have a choice to make. We have a choice to either keep it and hide it all for ourselves and for our family, which is really our nature in and of ourselves, right? Our nature is to self-protect, to provide for ourselves. Or we can heed the prompting of the Holy Spirit And do what's right in the Lord's sight. Listen, in verses 8 and 9, it says, we're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. It's the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives that causes us to share what God has given to us, the good news of salvation and redemption. But it's also the prompting of the Holy Spirit to show us other areas in our lives that requires an ever-increasing and deepening trust in God. You know, so often when the heat of the battle is over, we go back to relying on the way we've always lived, on our own understanding. But God has given us his Holy Spirit 
to be, give us a conviction to, to keep us on the right path. And we need to heed that, that conviction. We need to know when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And it doesn't have to be any great thing. I remember, I mean, I can, rem I can share numerous things with you. But I remember one time I had gone out with a group of people, and we went out to dinner, and we would, everybody wanted to go to see a particular movie. But the Holy Spirit had said to me, you're not to go see that movie. Now, you know, some may, but I cannot. You have to recognize that if you, the course of your life is in God's hands, in his reliable hands, you have to let him guide you and direct you. He's the one that's making the choice of what's best for you. The Bible says that all things may be permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And what might not harm you can harm me. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. And that's why the third thing, you know, the first thing of increasing our measure of, of trust is to remember what God has done in the past. The second thing is to take God at his word. But the third thing is to be obedient to the conviction of God in your life. Listen, trust and obey. There is no other way. There's no shortcut. There's no easier way. It's to trust and obey. Those two things are synonymous with one another. We need to trust God and obey him. And we want to be able, you know, what good is it to share the good news of the gospel of what Jesus has done if we're not living the good news? People want to see the real deal. Are you the real deal? You know, you might have, be able to, to share, but are you living what you're sharing? Is there an evidence of, of your life that you're trusting God through every trial, every tribulation? Listen, to live for God, that doesn't mean that we're exempt from the problems of life. It means that he provides, he gives us everything that we need to go through those problems. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us his word. He gives us the body of Christ, accountability with one another so that we can live a life that brings him glory. We're living in a day and age right now where it's all about us. It's a measure of entitlement. We come to church, you know, God, what can you do for me? That's being, that might be a follower, but do you want to be a follower? Or do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you want your life to mean something? He saved us so that our life would mean something. And so we need to recognize how important it is to remember what God has done in the past, reflect on his faithfulness, to take him at his word, and to also be obedient to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If the musicians could come. And I want to just share with you something that I feel that the Lord put on my heart. Because we're living in a time that truly does require a double portion of God's spirit. Listen, I thought about this verse in Matthew, what Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 14. It's not up on the screen, but listen or, or look at it in your Bible. It says, then they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. 
Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, or if I could replace that, the one who has an ever-increasing and deepening trust in God will be delivered. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, we're living in this day, we're living this prediction. And we can't be like an ostrich. The church of Jesus Christ cannot be like an ostrich that sticks its head in the stand to wait for the storm to pass because we have the answer. And the answer is Jesus. But you have to have the answer for yourself. You have to have that ever-increasing and deepening trust in God, regardless of what life throws your way. Because sometimes life can deal you a hand that's challenging. But know tonight, know beyond a shadow of a doubt tonight that God God uses all those situations to develop you into the man of God, to the woman of God, so that you can be a light in this dark world, that you can have that sense of authenticity upon your life. And so let's stand as I ask Pastor Ralph to come and close this out in prayer. We are living in a sobering time. And we need the strength and the passion and the anointing of God on our lives like never, ever before. Are you with me tonight? You know, maybe you, maybe you have, you know, you're here tonight and you're going through a trial, a tribulation. Maybe you were like me, that you're struggling with a temptation that you're saying, God, if you don't want me to live like this, you know, you can change me. Just change me. Sometimes I would get angry at God, just change me until I changed my response to my trial and realized that God was using that to develop an ever-increasing and deepening trust in him.